all in Africa has been paid for by the WZWA Network. I'm your host, with the most on the West Coast, California Inferior. A joy, honor, and privilege to be with you all once again. And as usual, uh, speaking of a joy, honor, and privilege, right here, right now, I get to speak to a man. He, he's been a promoter extraordinaire, a manager extraordinaire, a commentator extraordinaire. He's worn many hats in his time in the pro wrestling business. He's the one, he's the only, the incomparable Mr. Ron Neamey. How are you, sir? Thank you. I'm pretty excited about doing this. I talked to uh, a lot of my buddies that have done stuff with me in the past, like Jet Jaguar and me and Mike from Disorderly Conduct. And, you know, I've, they did nothing but put over the interview that you did with them. So I was, I was excited to do it myself. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's great. It's, it's good to have uh, some people in my corner. And, uh, and there's certainly been people in your corner too, sir, because uh, I've had quite a lot of guys on the show that have uh, been a part of IWA Hardcore Wrestling, um, uh, uh, so IPW Hardcore Wrestling. See, I told you it was early in the morning <laughs> for me. Uh, IPW Hardcore Wrestling and and, and uh, a lot of Florida guys. So um, very excited to to learn about your journey because uh, you know yours is a little bit differently. These guys, you've worn as I said many hats in pro wrestling. But before we get to all that stuff, usually the first question on the show, Ron, is how did you become a wrestling fan before you got involved in the business? I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and I used to stay at my grandparents all the time. And I remember us coming home one night after a fish fry at the VFW or something like that. And late night, I turned into this uh, station out of Green Bay, and all-star wrestling was on. And it was the AWA. Nick Bockwinkle was the world heavyweight champion at the time. And you had the likes of uh, Mad Dog Vachon, uh, the High Flyers, Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne, just Ken Patera, Mr. Saito, some of the greatest of the great. And I, as soon as I saw it, from the second I saw it, I was hooked. And uh, I've always loved professional wrestling. Uh, when I seen Bobby Heenan shortly after that, because he was the manager of the world champ, Nick Bockwinkle, uh, I knew that was what I wanted to do, but growing up where I did and being in the middle of nowhere in upper Michigan, uh, I didn't think there would ever be a chance that I could ever find my way into the business. So it's been like living a dream. Yeah, that's really cool. It's, it's, it rings true through almost everyone I've had on the show. The moment they saw it, they were hooked. And then that was it. It was a foregone conclusion. Their life would now be about this. Um, so, okay, so that, that's where you're kind of situated in the U.S. at the time. Um, uh, as far as your wrestling fandom is concerned, before you finally figure out a way to get involved in the business, was there a point in time where you first saw kind of more of a hardcore style of wrestling? I know, I know that um, IPW was, you know, kind of like a, a Florida version of ECW. Uh, some guys have, uh, have um, you know, explained to me uh, in previous interviews was there, you know, that, that element of uh, your fandom, where did that first start? The, the whole element of violence, and especially it, it wouldn't involve color, 
uh, just right from the beginning hooked me. I'll, I'll always remember angles when I was watching the AWA where simple, you can find it on YouTube even where Baron Von Raschke and Kenny the Sodbuster Jay, who was a long time like weekly job guy on the AWA show, for whatever reason, they teamed up against Mr. Saido and Jesse Devotee Ventura, who were known as the Far East West Connection at the time. And there was an angle where they busted a board over Baron Von Raschke's head uh, and just insane color, blood everywhere. And then a few years later, I started getting access to uh, the Memphis tapes. And I was lucky enough that. I was also getting tapes from Calgary with Stampede uh, Wrestling, the Hart family, because Makan Singh uh, was the North American champion. And at the time in Calgary, he also happened to be a, a Uper, which is what we call people from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan or Upers. So he was like our local hometown hero. He also happened to be best friends with a guy that was married to one of my aunts. So I was getting tapes from Canada with, with the likes of a young Benoit, Dynamite Kid, Davy Boy Smith, Hase, Sasaki, the Horts. I was getting educated to this totally different style and world of wrestling. And when they ran angles up there, especially when it involved uh, emotion and personal situations, that there was a lot of blood. Um, it always registered to me in a bigger way when when the blood was involved and, and it seemed that much more serious. Uh, and as I came up in professional wrestling, I always incorporated the violence, the blood, the controversy, uh, you know, what Paul Heyman was doing, I was doing on a smaller level uh, and he was an inspiration for me. And so was Jim Cornette with Smoky Mountain Wrestling, because I dare you to find more controversial and crazier violent stuff uh, than the heavenly bodies and the gangsters from the, you know, the days in Smoky Mountain. I mean, it's, I couldn't get enough of it. So once I started running shows and I started to be involved more as a manager uh, and whenever we do blow off matches where the, the baby face would finally get their hands on me, I would leave in a bloody massacre. Um, I wouldn't be seen for another month or so. And that worked because I was active duty air force at the time. So I would take leave every time I knew that these, these big blow offs were going to happen. I'd get murdered. I'd vanish. Actually, I'd be up in upper Michigan with all my friends. And then I'd come back with a neck brace or a hood or take your pick of different things. You know, I like old school stuff, but I like the violence to go with it. Awesome, awesome, interesting stuff, uh, especially, you know, just getting tapes of, of Stampede back there must have been mind-blowing seeing. Uh, it was unbelievable. <laughs> there was so much talent there. And uh, Mike Shaw, which was the wrestler out of the UP that wrestled as Makan Singh, uh, later would have been Norman the Lunatic in WCW and Bastion Booger in the WWF, uh, to see what was going on up there and to see a lot of these guys right before WWF would snatch him up, guys like Bad News Brown, you know, he's Bad News Allen at the time. And again, the Hearts, Jim, the Anvil, Nightheart, so much talent was up there. And they were also light years ahead of their time, especially when it came uh, to like the tag team division with the Japanese talent mixing with, you know, very young Owen and Bruce and uh, Bret Hart and of course the Bulldogs. And it was just a loaded territory. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it uh, certainly was cutting edge stuff. Um, uh, okay, so that that's kind of we, we've we've covered kind of your fandom there and where things kind of led to uh, finding a way to get involved with the wrestling business. What was the first step? How did you figure it out? I got stationed at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa when I was nineteen. Uh, it was the first base that they assigned me to. Uh, as soon as I got off the plane. And this sergeant picked me up at 
uh, Tampa International Airport. I told him he needed to bring me to the Tampa Sportatorium, and I had the address, which was 106 North Albany in Tampa, Florida. All I wanted to see, all I cared about was going to the Tampa Sportatorium, uh, where the likes of Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, Abdul the Butcher, Terry Funk, the you know Steve Kern, the Briscoes, Mike Graham. I could go on and on. It was like a shrine to professional wrestling to me. When I arrived at the building, it was this dump. It was this little tiny dump of a building. I didn't care. All I wanted to do was get in that building. And sure enough, they were still running every Thursday night at the time. And there were still legends like Dick Slater, uh, Robert Fuller, the Harris brothers would be there. Kern, Brian Blair, you take your pick. Uh, I just got dropped in here. And I kept coming every week to the sportatorium where uh, Steve Kern would train talent, uh, Jimmy Del Rey, which was Jimmy Backlund at the time. And then also across town, the Malenko School of Wrestling ran classes. I just kept going to both and they'd keep chasing me off. And when they weren't chasing me off, they were beating the shit out of me and stretching me. But I couldn't get enough of it. So I just kept coming back until they finally allowed me on the shows as a, as a heel manager because I'm not even 5'6". And I was really, really tiny and little at the time because I didn't lift. So the idea that I could be anything other than a pussy heel manager was unheard of. But uh, the great Malenko gave me the opportunity. And then guys like Billy Mack at the Sportatorium uh, gave me opportunities. And I was off and running. Right. Awesome. So um, like uh, in, in my research, I did see that yeah, you had uh, worked a little bit in the ring. Uh, I saw the name Sir Ronald J. Nemi Fourth. I wanted to know a little bit about that character. That was the that was my you know, first gimmick I went with when, when I was getting rolling, uh, I'm actually Ronald James Nemi Jr. And my son is the third, but I always liked, uh, the idea of Sir Oliver Humperdinck was, is just redheaded slob, you know, dressed in these ridiculous clothes. And he was such an obnoxious jerk and he would claim this Royal lineage. And here I am, I'm this five foot six pipsqueak. And I got this ridiculous to this day. I got this really strong accent that people usually uh, associate with Canada because you know, I grew up only a few hours away from there. So I thought the idea of me claiming that I had some loose, weird Royal lineage while I'm out there just acting like an asshole interfering in every match I can, I figured it would be obnoxious. And then I combine it with the really gaudy, uh, ridiculous over the top suits, kind of like Cornette used to wear back in the day. And that took off to people would call. I was so tiny and I'd be dressed like Pee Wee Herman. So Peewee is exactly what took off. So I'd have molten white hot heat on these shows with the whole place chanting Peewee. And I'm just wondering the whole time, how the fuck did I even sneak in here? You know? <laughs> that is great stuff. Um, I, again, I do a lot of uh, deep dive research when I do my research. The internet can be wrong sometimes, but sometimes I could be pleasantly surprised. Uh, did I read correctly that you did some extra work for WCW during an angle with Hogan and Sid as a security guard? Yeah, we were on, I think it was Thunder. Uh, me and some of my friends, uh, Rick Thames, who used to be seen a lot with the Southern Posse on WCW Saturday Night, uh, Jeff Bradley, who was Dudley Dudley in ECW and has traveled worldwide. He's been over, you know, been over to Europe and Australia, Japan, China. Uh, he was there with me, my buddy Mike Peskin. Uh, Casey Thompson, a, you know, a few others that we were like, it was a thunder deal. And they involved us with this pull apart brawl. And if I remember right, was 
Tank Abbott, Ming, Sid Vicious, and Hulk Hogan, where it was this weird, crazy deal. And we were involved in a pull apart. Then there was an interview backstage with Sid where he was like giving us orders where we were clearly on his payroll. And that was like in the height of where they were just like pissing money away. And every one of us got paid 500 bucks, which don't seem like much now. And some of the folks on the Indies are making money and I'm very happy and proud of what it's become. But at the time to get a $500 payday, if you were doing jobs on WCW Saturday night, you were looking to get 150 bucks and you'd have to cut in whoever got you booked uh, a booking fee plus split trends and do whatever after that and party and you'd be broke on the way home. So to get 500 bucks to play security when Eric Bischoff was getting things rolling there was insane. And it was, it was a lot of fun and truthfully we were treated really good. But uh, I wish I had done more at that level because to get a taste of that, even I know it might not sound like much, but to get a $500 payday when you were grinded on the Indies to lucky to get 50 bucks, if it was a good show, it was like, Hey man, I made it. You know, I'm with Sid and Hulk, something's going to happen here. And that's it. You know, it, it can, it can happen, you know, for the good for you that bad, bad, or you can be chasing. I've been doing this shit for 30 years, man. I broke in in August of 91. Um, I've always, you know, kept a shoot job. And like I said, I was active duty military during the first seven years of that. Uh, but, you know, I've been on the cusp of things a million times. I always like to, you know, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but I'm probably lucky I didn't make it because I like the party inside of this business a lot, too. Um, I don't know why anybody would go into professional wrestling or be a rock star or do anything like that if you're not in it for the insanity, too. But that may have held me back a few times in my career because I kind of embraced the the idea of being completely impossible to deal with. It created a lot of excitement and would get us a lot of attention. Uh, but it also, I think, scared people away from taking a chance with me. Fair enough. And uh, very honest of you, but I, I do definitely uh, appreciate that. And I can understand where you're coming from there because I, I, too, like to party. Um, <clears throat> okay. IPW, Hardcore Wrestling. I want to know, forming the company, what is the hardest part about starting your own company? What made you think, you know what, I want to start my own uh, organization um, and... and I kind of got lucky uh, uh, at the time. It, it, again, I've always had the, I guess for good and bad, I'm a, I'm a wrestling snob and I don't want to be a, associated with trash mm. and I don't want pretenders on the shows that I'm booked at. Uh, a lot of people would say it's not my business, but I, I don't want to be associated with garbage. If you're buying a ticket uh, and you worked all week and, and you decide you want to come out and bring the kids or, or some of the boys and come and see a show, they should see top level. Uh, you know, guys with gear, guys that understand that it's time to be TV ready at all times and to be training and in the gym. We're in Florida. The sun is free. You know, look like a star. Treat, you know, treat the fans with some respect. And I, I didn't get that feeling that on a lot of the shows I was on. So I, I decided it was time to do my own thing. And I had a very good friend, Mike Peskin, who's still a, a good friend of mine. Today. Actually, he was at AEW last night in Texas having a time of his life. And he's been around this shit almost 40 years now. But he ran IPW in the Northeast and he ran it in Florida. And before you even knew guys like British Bulldog or, or take your pick of talent, Hercules, Greg DeHammer, Valentine, before you would even know they were released by the WWF, uh, Mike would be running indie shows in the middle of these states in the middle of nowhere with this talent. He always had a inside track on who was available and running bigger indie shows. Well, he was done. He liked me. I liked him. And he turned the book over to me. 
and I immediately turned it into a real, it was a, just a fucking circus, uh, in the back, in the, in, in the ring, in the parking lot. It was wild, really, really wild. And, uh, while he trusted me and loved me, he just didn't want the, uh, I, I honestly liability, uh, and the potential issues of running something like that. So, uh, he literally turned it over to me. I'm not even going to say there was a sale or he, he was just a class act that always made a lot of money in the, uh, in his shoot job and never needed the wrestling to do it. So he, he just handed it over to me and I was off and running. I mean, we were doing some crazy, crazy shit right from the beginning. And, uh, once I brought in jet Jaguar and the Shane brothers, guys like Mike Sullivan, Scoot Andrews, whatever, I just brought in every star singles guy, uh, cruiserweight guy and tag team to do nothing but put my guys over. And I sent them all over the world. Um, Every indie that had any name value, if they if they would have us, we went, you know, CZW, Jersey, all pro, ECWA, wild side. Uh, and I also sent my guys to uh, England with Stu over there running EWW. We ran, uh, we sent guys to Big Japan Pro Wrestling, IWA Puerto Rico, World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. We sent guys to China. Uh, as a matter of fact, we had a guy that trained with some of my top guys, the Shanes in, uh, in Jet Jaguar. Uh, from Australia, John Saru. Uh, he ended up being a star on the Australian version of American Gladiators as Vulcan. And he oh, also... Vulcan. A, yeah. <laughs> and he had a really cool role in a uh, one of the James Bond movies uh, where he got all kinds of screen time. And I don't remember. I might, actually, I might have it right here. I was looking it up earlier. But he was in The World Is uh, Not Enough where he plays this henchman, uh, Gober. Uh, badass dude. Uh, came over here, trained at the Malenko School of Wrestling underneath Jeff Bradley. Team Malenko still some had him, but that was that was my my little tie to Australia that I, I forget sometimes about John because it's been over twenty years. But he ended up being a star uh, over in Australia. So wrestling's a very weird, small world, and now with the internet and and things like we're doing here right now, it's it kind of shrinks down. We're learning the history is a little bit easier, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And after all the names that you have mentioned on the show, when you said as soon as you said Vulcan, I, I popped more for that name than anyone else. I he was fantastic. That's my boy. He was yeah. fantastic on television. He played the heel so good on Gladiators. Gladiators well, he was, was a huge. Star. He's a great yeah. looking uh Fijian uh guy, badass, uh true athlete. I believe he opened up a wrestling school in Australia later on that lasted for it may be still open, but I know it was upwards of 20 years the last I looked. But yeah, he's a good friend. Uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, but now that I'm bringing him up here, I'll probably look him up on one of the social media and say hi. He was always very close with the Shane brothers. They, they were all, they were kind of like all freak athletes with a different work ethic than your normal type of person. Uh, but yeah, I, it was very cool to see him become a star over there. He would have did the same thing here as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Um, uh, speaking of um, the history of IPW Hardcore, I know that this is a tough, I guess, kind of a tough question to answer because I really don't want to skim through it too much, but I have so much I want to ask you about. I just, uh, this question is, if you could tell me some of the biggest uh, and proudest moments that you had as a booker for IPW Hardcore. Easily the proudest moment, but it was also probably the saddest is um, after Jeff Peterson uh, passed away, 
from lymphoma and we we put together the the first annual jet peterson memorial cup where a very young cm punk came to florida for the first time cold cabana came to florida for the first time uh one of the greatest wrestlers ever as far as i'm concerned reckless youth uh won the tournament but right as we we're in the middle of that tournament i was standing outside the florida wrestleplex in st pete with a bunch of my guys and you know, you're trying to have the best time you can. So we're raising hell like we normally do. And these incredible matches are happening inside the building. And all of a sudden, this huge, um, this this big, like, I can't even explain it. This big, just this huge Jeep type vehicle comes pulling up and it's got machoman.com on the side and comes pulling up in the dark and the door opens and it's fucking, it's Macho Man Randy Savage. And, and he comes over and, uh, he says, Ronnie, is it okay if I have a few words with the people? So I grab him and I run in the building and I'm, I'm waiting for the match to end. Who I can't remember at this time what was in the ring. I don't even want to bullshit. But they finished up. The crowd pops. Everyone's happy. Very sentimental night. And then the music hits and Macho Man Randy Savage walks into my ring in my building and cuts the most motivating, inspirational promo anybody could possibly have hoped for walked back gave me the mic he walked out the door and he drove away um i couldn't have dreamt of or booked a, a more perfect and unbelievable uh earth two type situation i couldn't believe what was happening in my building and, and on such an important show i could never top anything as huge as that ever wow that's huge that's huge <laughs> you know and i'm not as far as far as matches, uh, the NWA 53rd anniversary was was coming to Tampa, and uh, the NWA president Howard Brody was in charge. So everybody on planet Earth should have known it was going to be a fucking train wreck, and he would blow it. And he booked the Tampa Convention Center. No tickets sold. Nobody gave a shit. Uh, and for whatever reason, he he dreamt up it was supposedly the 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 venue was pulled out from underneath them, which was the Tampa convention center, which was way too big for an indie show at that time. Nobody here uh, for me to get people in the seats at IPW. I, I I'm not going to act like these people were breaking the door down. It took effort to get them in there. And I had to bring in some real shit. And I had TV at the time on UPN for over two years. Uh, well, anyway, the, the convention center yanks out the carpet from underneath them. I step up immediately offer the Florida WrestlePlex. And this show just murders. But that was the night that Shinya Hashimoto from Zero One faced Steve Carino at my building at the NWA 53rd anniversary. And they had in about 125 degree heat in that sweat box in the middle of the summer in Florida. Hashimoto nearly killed Karina. And Steve took all of it. And he took more and begged for more. It was the most epic emotional shit I've ever seen in my life. And from that point forward, Steve Carino was not only a regular in zero one, but he was a star. He was brought in as, as uh, you know, somebody to, to obviously pay respect to and to understand he's not, you know, he was never an underneath guy, but it was like, he started out as a top guy because of he sacrificed his entire body and everything that he loves for that match. And I was there to witness it. And it was the it was probably one of the most epic things I've ever seen in my life, wrestling or not. It was hard to explain. 
Awesome. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. Um, the next question I've got lined up here is <clears throat> about booking. Uh, what is your personal booking philosophy, you know, in how you go about mapping out angles? You know, what is your process like in comparison to others? I, I really rely a lot on wrestling one-on-one and going with basic shit that the, 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 you know, it's simple. I'm the bad guy. You're the good guy. I don't like you. And this is why, or I'm the bad guy and you're the good guy and you got the belt and I want it. You know, it's that simple. And I've always tried to stay away the best I can from hot shotting because short-term hot shot, like really crazy angles can spike the houses and get the interest or whatever. But what are you sacrificing long-term? You know, so I had, I had the luxury at the time of where I could, I had my own building. Plus I had a ton of towns so I could run as much as I could afford to run. Uh, so I could, I, I could stretch angles out, you know, over the long term. where also the blow off would want to be seen in each town. So, you know, it, it, my philosophy was if it's not going to put asses in the seats, what are we doing? You know, so that, that was what everything came down to. No matter how cool I thought something might be or it might pop me because uh, it's funny. If it wasn't going to make money, I really, truly tried to stay away from it. Fair enough. Excellent stuff. Um, I, I, now I want to kind of talk about talent and managing talent. Uh, I want to know about, you know, who uh, during that time uh, would you say was the most difficult talent to work with? And also, who would you say was uh, somebody that you really enjoyed uh, uh, having uh, as, as a talent taking direction from you? It's funny because I still say this to this day, but some of the most difficult guys and girls I've ever dealt with are the ones that don't belong there in the first place that I don't know if they snuck in the back door or they caught me on the right day or, you know, I, something about them that I like that I spend, you know, considerable time to try to get them over and to help them expand. They never, there's a certain group that they just never will appreciate it. They resent you for needing you and they'll remind you at every single time that they're, you know, that they can, especially when your back is turned uh, on the flip side. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to deal with guys like Scoot Andrews and, and Steve Madison and Mike Sullivan, who, I mean, I think he might be the nicest guy that's ever been in professional wrestling. Uh, you know, he got to wrestle at Madison Square Garden against Loki, uh, you know, and, and he's a fireman here in St. Pete, along with Steve Madison. These guys are, they're legit heroes. They're not your typical dirtbag wrestlers. Nothing against the dirtbag wrestlers because we need them too. You know, I mean, it's, it wouldn't be wrestling if it wasn't for the carny maniacs that are attracted to this. But it's always a pleasure to deal with the guys that are easier. But it's a little bit of a challenge and exciting to deal with the nutcases, too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, sometimes even the most difficult talent to work with can can be absolutely brilliant. Uh, that's a part yeah. of their brilliance because they are a difficult and uh, layered kind of human being. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, I just thought that, that would be interesting to ask you about uh, because, you know, managing people can be very uh, difficult and, uh, you know, interesting. Um, I want to bring up the Shane twins because I've had them on the show. Love them. Great guys. Uh, wanted to see if you could uh, give me some fun stories about uh, your time with the Shane twins. Yeah, we did so much together, almost from their first day out of uh, wrestling school. I was aware of them and what they're doing. And then Dean Malenko asked me to come to school one time and I got to see Mike and Todd. And then of course, Jet Jaguar 
uh, Tony Mamaluke, Jeremy Lopez. This class was just Chad Collier was part of it too, and he was ultra talented. Um, he did some stuff um, over in I want to say Michinoku Pro. He, he was over there as metal masters, and Jeremy Gomez was Black Tigers over there. Uh, we had guys like Navy Seal that got to wrestle over in Battle Arts. We just did you know so much cool stuff. <clears throat> one of the things that you know, I'm sorry going off a side tangent here, but even when I was a young guy, I always liked the idea of helping young guys and 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 recognizing talent, you know, and and pulling them up if you had the opportunity to do it, and then also being willing and disciplined enough to cut the cable if they clearly didn't get it. Because I've had guys come across, you know, my eyes over the years, countless times where I'm like, this guy's got it, and within five minutes I knew he might have it, but he ain't got it mentally. You know, what I mean, because this is a tough 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 business and if you're not willing to grind and, and and put up with some serious politics even at the you know indie level uh it, it's it's you got to be mentally tough or it'll just chew you up and spit you out it really will um so yeah I, as i um was uh, asking about over uh, the shane twins did you have any stories about i'm sorry when i'm tangent there mike and todd <laughs> we go back i start, started talking about them coming out of the school uh we go back and i was just with mike at the uh, new japan pro wrestling show in st pete on sunday uh, i was with hit you should listen to this crowd we were just hanging around um shooting the shit and having fun and watching the show but at one point standing with us was mike shane uh jet jaguar bam neely which you remember from wwe cuban assassin and fantasy which you'd remember from take your pick, you know, mainly the World Wrestling Council, but all over the world. And then Lenny Lane shows up out of nowhere. I ain't seen Lenny Lane in like 20 years. Uh, and he just shows up. I didn't know he lives here. And then me and Mike from Disorderly Conduct, it was Mr. Hattori is in the building. It was just like this incredible deal. That's that's a good explanation of like me and Mike just decided we were going to meet over at the show and Jet Jaguar was coming with us. And it ended up this like just a great day. Uh, great stories, uh, you know, because of the Shane brothers, uh, I got to go to Puerto Rico uh, with Jimmy Hart with the XWF, WWC invasion where, you know, the Shanes managed by me faced the uh, Regatones, which was the headhunters. Um, and they were managed by Joe Don Smith and they were long-term hardcore bloodbath heels that were doing like this reggae babyface gimmick. And I don't know if you remember the, the headhunters, but they were like little tiny miniature Abdul the Butchers. They were like five foot, nothing. And we had like 400 pounds, but would do moonsaults. But they'd also go through glass and barbed wire and all that crazy shit before that was normal. Um, me and the Shanes, together, we went to very, very early combat zone wrestling uh, where they wrestled the Haas brothers uh, in a match that was just years ahead of its time. I ended up getting all fucked up from a chair shot and had to get my head stapled shut in the back that night. And Zandig came by and gave me a big uh, you know, thumbs up and a wink of approval as only as only Zandig can do, you know, I got to see Mike and Todd, uh, you know, do stuff with the XWF, the WWF, uh, finally gave them an opportunity. They were well on their ways to winning the tag belts, doing cool shit with, uh, it was Brian Kendrick and Paul London. Yeah. And then Todd suffered the injury and that was it. I think because of their age and they kind of came in on a higher guarantee than most development guys, they decided that, you know, decided to cut bait. And I think that was a loss for the, for the WBU, WBF at the time, because Mike and Todd are, they're, they're 320 pound identical twins that are 
they're more jacked than you could possibly imagine. And they move like cruiserweights. You know, we, uh, we did a show back in, I think it was 99 called break the barrier. And it was at the ECW arena in Philly. And yeah. it was the chains against the pit bulls and the pit bulls did not want to cooperate. They didn't want to put the chains over. Uh, so it was very interesting, but it was a good experience for us. And whenever either one of them was down from injuries, I'd push the other as uh, you know, at one time, Mike held the IPW TV title. Todd held the NWA for the heavyweight championship. So even if one was down, I would just keep us hot by pushing the other one as a singles. Cause they're, they're freak athletes. They, uh, they were NCAA scholarship tennis players, believe it or not in college. Uh, right. And then, you know, phone wrestling and weightlifting afterwards and they're fucking monsters, but behind the scenes, probably the biggest nice guys you'll ever meet. And, being honest with you, I don't think that helped them. They'd have been better off being big bully assholes. They'd probably still be making money, but I wouldn't trade my time. We spent so much time uh, on the road, whether it was in cars or, or airplanes or whatever the fuck it took, we were going to get there. Uh, you know, going to the pro wrestling illustrated offices together. Uh, you know, to this day, we we root for our kids. They're his kids, Mike's kids are our scholarship athletes. Todd's kids are going to be no different. My kids are kick-ass jocks and we've been, we've been cheering for our own kids the whole time. And I think I'll be with those guys in one form or another until, until the day I die. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. It's really nice to hear. And uh, I, I, I agree. They are two fantastic, fantastic gentlemen. Um, back to IPW hardcore. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, again, I kind of feel like I've skimmed over a lot for, for this company because it was a big part of uh, your time in pro wrestling. Um, but from what you have said, from what Jet Jaguar has said, the Shane Twins, everyone that I've talked to about this company, all they said was it was a great run that the company had. There was always people packed into the building. Um, what led to the company uh, merging with NWA Florida and what what kind of led to IPW Hardcore being, um, you know, no longer a, a, an entity? I started just trying to run shows that it, we, we had so much going on. Our schedule was so busy. We had TV. We had the school, the pressure, you know, the whole time I was working a shoot job and, and really not making real money. And the wrestling indie, you know, money at the time was, to say it was terrible would be an understatement. So there was always more coming out than there was going in. And we had one gigantic failure that was just, it was just too much and knee jerk reaction. I said, we're done. And it wasn't the wrong decision. It was the only decision, but there was no, there was no real buildup. It was always tough. It was always impossible. It was always one gigantic failure away from completely being done or one gigantic success from, you know, surviving another X amount of months or maybe, you know, taking it to the next level. I mean, we, we had some shows, you know, there was a couple of shows at the Pinellas Expo Center. I had a thousand people there, you know, and, and my, my word doesn't mean anything. You know, if you don't, in, in wrestling, people throw around figures like that and they're so full of shit. I don't say it unless I can reference it. It's all right there on YouTube. And, you know, I bring in legends like Abdullah Butcher, Kevin Sullivan. I was lucky enough on one show to have X-Pac against Kurt Hennig in the main event. And Kurt Hennig was brought to the ring by Bobby the Brain Heenan <laughs> while, Ma while Macho Man was sitting across the building signing autographs. I mean, I was doing shit that uh, 
I had no business being able to do because I didn't have the money, but I had the heart. And when I'd meet these people, they see that I was trying, you know, do the right thing and, and, and to give the Florida talent uh, a stage where maybe they didn't have the type of buzz of fans uh, in the Northeast, the Southeast fans just don't do it. They still don't to this day. So I was trying, you know, I bring in Chris Daniels, uh, AJ Styles was my champion for a while. You know, he'd come in and, and, you know, just work with everybody. And he wasn't afraid to put people over on the way out either. So it was like this, this who's who of the best at the time uh, that were just getting discovered. They knew this was the place to be. There was no money, but the exposure that came out of it and and the camaraderie and the long-term uh, relationships like that show I mentioned in Philly uh, for Break the Barrier, that was the first time that I met Reckless Youth, Mike Quackenbush, a very, very young Trent Acid, uh, Justice Payne and his brother, Nick Gage, Zandig, Wife Beater. I met all those guys. Don Montoya was at that show. Uh, you know, and then you had like legends like Abby, uh, Shane Douglas was there to put bowls, whoever. But uh, to be able to sit there and say that I met those guys that long ago and the amount of them that went on to be stars or, you know, the ones that I'm still you know, loosely in contact with uh, that show. It, it wasn't well ran and it didn't draw like it should have, but it was uh, a who's who of who's going to be who later, uh, you know, in American independent wrestling. Awesome. Um, I wanted to ask one final question about IPW hardcore before moving on to other subjects. Uh, will there ever be a documentary on IPW hardcore wrestling uh, I asked Jet Jaguar this, but now I'm asking you. Hey, if somebody was to approach me on it, but, you know, we have so much footage and so many of the key guys are still available to talk to, but I don't have the time or money to do it. You know, I mean, it would be a labor of love, but I have, you know, I'm 52 years old and I've, I've paid my dues. If somebody wanted to do it, I would be probably the biggest fan of it, of course. Uh, but as far as I don't have time or money to do it. No problem. Um, okay, uh, uh, I want to ask about the XWF. I know you did uh, this thing in, in Puerto Rico with the XWF, but uh, when they first initially did those tapings, uh, were you involved uh, at all with the XWF at that time? I was there, and I, I did a lot to get them, like, enhancement guys and to line that up into lineup, just logistics and equipment. But for whatever reason at the time, the nasty boys weren't the biggest uh, fan of me and really kept the door closed. Even though the Shanes were there, I was there at the tapings. I'm, I'm there the whole time. Uh, but they kept me from, you know, I, I think there was a lot of back then uh, the old school teams knew that the Shanes couldn't be manipulated when I was around because I handled a lot of the business and I wasn't afraid to speak up to guys that were, four times my size that this doesn't you know work for what we're trying to do with the shanes mike and todd were so eager to please that they would go along with whatever these veterans who would say because they would assure them they're looking out for the best interest hey, brian Nobbs knew that you know and so did jerry sags i love those guys but they knew that if i was involved i wasn't going to let a lot of shit go on that was so they kind of would make my life miserable and hope to chase me off but it didn't and then later on, Jimmy Hart did so much shit for me that, you know, missing out on those tapings, I was there. So I got to share in the uh, the excitement of, you know, friends of mine getting an opportunity. Uh, but later to go to Puerto Rico for the XWF with the same group of guys and to go down there and act like an animal like anybody else used to with uh, Puerto Rico. 
it, it was all right. I, I was willing to sacrifice and eat a little bit of shit, you know? Yep, fair enough. Um, I wanted to bring up TNA. Uh, again, research that I've done, uh, I found a website that stated that um, uh, you, you started to do some work for TNA in their early days. Uh, so I want to know how that came about and also if it was true that you had an altercation with Johnny Fairplay. Yeah, I always sent, uh, when they started at the fairgrounds, Bill Barron's from NWA Wildside was in charge of booking the uh, enhancement and he had his hand in a million different things. But me and Bill have always worked together and he was nice enough to give me the opportunity to send, I, I literally sent everybody to, uh, you know, to Nashville that wanted to go, everybody. They, they were able to go and get national TV time for the first time and get seen. And a few guys like Jarrell Clark and Mikey Batts, who's uh, Kidman's cousin, uh, got actual opportunities and, you know, were signed and performed there for a while. But when they moved to Orlando, uh, I started working as gorilla position next to uh, Jerry Jarrett <clears throat> and, you know, great opportunity. And again, I still would bring the enhancement guys and they'd tell me how many they need. And I tell them who's coming and the whole deal. And uh, everything was going along great. And we always went to Miller's ale house on international drive in Orlando after every show. And I always went, I partied heavy. And even though I wasn't a regular, I just really didn't care who was around. And if they liked me, that was cool. And if they didn't, you know, whatever. I got along with everybody, but I walked up on this table one night. It was, I, I know it was Chris Harris. I think it was Lance Archer. And it might've been Sharkboy, but it was definitely Harris and Archer. And Johnny Fairplay is just, just shitting on, on Bobby the Brain Heenan. And it wasn't trying to be funny. It was he was just shitting on him. It, like he's this pathetic old, you know, character from the past that's outdated and talk about how he's of the future. And I took exception to it. Bobby the Brain Heenan is the greatest wrestling manager in history and probably one of the greatest commentators. And I would say one of the funniest people and sharpest people uh, and most loyal people to professional wrestling that's ever came along. And I took exception when I went after him and uh, it was ugly uh, because he he was what he was at the time. He pressed charges, and uh, that's how I ended up meeting my friend to this day, Jody Peterman, the attorney out of Georgia, hooked me up with an attorney here. And uh, after going to court, I think it was six times I'd show up, and Johnny would never be there because he was on the West Coast, and he had no intentions of being there. Finally, they threw it out, and uh, that was it. But, yeah, he, uh, he pressed the assault and battery charges on me. Wow, holy shit, I didn't realize it was going to be uh, that kind of an altercation. But, hey, he should have kept his mouth shut. You don't talk about Bobby Heenan like that and get away with it as far as I'm concerned. No, I don't care who you are. You know, And, and what pissed me off even more, though, is these fucking guys that are stars now. And at the time, they were getting, you know, they're getting a decent opportunity in TNA. But how in the how is you, as a real professional wrestler, getting paid and make how are you listening to this fucking clown burying a legend like that? And even if you handle it, you know, in a different, more, Hey buddy, you know, take it easy, you know, however you want to do it. I've had friends say asshole shit before and I put them back in place. You know, it's, that's just, you know, it's the way it is, especially when booze is involved, but they were yucking it up because they were fucking marks uh, for this D level, you know, reality show star, which at the time that was still kind of a, you know, am I wrong? Well, that was like the first or second survivor or some shit mm -hmm. like that. So that's going way back. Uh, I was still around, but it was so uncomfortable for me after that because he was a, 
know, Dixie Carter loved those, uh, those reality guys and, and girls. And so he was in, and I was the dummy, uh, you know, getting a shitty payday to get enhancement talent lined up and uh, tell people, hey, it's your fucking time, go. You know, Jerry Jarrett would sit and laugh because he got a kick out of, out of me. He, he just got a kick out of me, which was cool. Uh, but when I finally told them one day, you know, hey, listen, they're changing my hours at work. For me to be able to keep doing this, I need to get X amount each time and then I'll just supplement the rest um, by doing whatever I got to do. And they passed and that was the end of my time in, in TNA. Fair enough. Um, so uh, you brought up the gorilla position and uh, working in that position. I've never actually had the chance to speak to somebody who's uh, been in that role before. So for the for the layman out there, the the wrestling fan layman out there that may not understand exactly what duties go into that uh, job, what goes into working at the gorilla position? Well, with TNA at the time, it was it was taped, but it was live to tape, so there was no time to waste. So you're usually like, you know, the old TNA tunnel that, that deal. I'd be on the bottom of the steps standing next to Jerry, who'd be giving me the cues. And when I tell you, you got to go, you got to go. And if there was anything special that Jerry would tell me, okay, there's been this change, watch for this, or, you know, whatever I needed to communicate to the talent that was going out there, I, I'd be at, and you got to go, you know? And, and the only guy that ever fucked with me once, and it was a test and I think I passed, but, it was right in the middle of some hot and heavy deal and Raven was standing right next to me. And I said, go. And he sat there and I fucking slapped on the ass. Go, you're up. And he sat there and I fucking grabbed him and I said, go. And he smiled and gave me a wink and he went, you know, he probably wouldn't even remember that, but that was, you know, something where I go, okay, well, I think I handled that right. He didn't get mad at me. I don't think I disrespected him. He listened to me, but he was willing to see, I think, uh, was I be, you know, was I going to be willing to, you know, make that type of call with any type of authority? You know, you know, he could have sat there and still looked at me, but then he would have had to deal with Jerry at that time. So it was a good experience. It was, it was a little gut wrenching, you know, because time has meant everything. And uh, if you had uh, D Ray 3000 or whatever the fuck he was called, you know, going against somebody and they went two minutes long. Now the next match has got to shave two minutes. Shit's happening on the fly. Uh, so there was a lot of trust. Um, I loved being there. I thought it was a great experience. I learned a lot about TV that I didn't know, but uh, I also learned when I tried to make a stand that yeah, I was interchangeable. As soon as I said, I need this, I was gone and somebody else was uh, filling the role and they're still on TV. So, you know, clearly I wasn't that messed, but it was a good experience. And I thank Jeff Jarrett a lot for that too. He was, he was very cool to me. Uh, he then later, uh, you know, came and defended the NWA world heavyweight title for me on a uh, NWA Florida show against Rod Steele in Pinellas Park where Steve Carino was involved. And it, you know, I just, but, but, but the way I was back then is I booked him, I paid him a, a really big payday, which he deserved. And he drew, he drew for me too. But at the time I took it very personal because I didn't feel that we were getting the respect and I wasn't getting the respect that I deserved yet. None of the NWA territories would bring in the tag or the world champ because they were truthfully, most of them were little local shit shows with no budget and they weren't going to spend any money to try to. You know, I, I'm like, listen, the Shane brothers are the world tag champs. Jarrell Clark's the uh, world junior heavyweight champ. And I'm bringing in Jeff Jarrett as the world heavyweight champ. What more do I fucking need to do? Give us some respect. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I want to ask you about uh, Deep South Wrestling and, and doing some commentary work there uh, in December 2005. What was the, uh, 
And how did this opportunity come about? And please tell me the tale of your time there. It was the uh, when the Shane brothers were bought in, brought in there. Uh, they immediately dropped my name to Bill DeMott. And Bill uh, was nice enough to let me come up there and meet him. Uh, I guess I didn't rub him the wrong way because I was invited to come back every week after that. And I would do, uh, there was no TV. We were taping everything, but, you know, there was no TV. But the tapes were still going to the office so they could, uh, you know, so they could basically check on the progress of all these students and and, and uh, prospects that they had signed down there. And it didn't matter who was in what angle, didn't matter who was out sick, didn't matter who was available. Uh, Jody would just not, would not put me on the main show. And while I love, you know, and respect wrestling, and I understand that Jody Hamilton and the Assassins were probably the biggest drawing tag team in the history of, of at least regional pro wrestling. Uh, it, it, to me, he felt out of touch. He felt bitter. He felt angry. He always preached against the WWE and that we were for Deep South and not WWE. <clears throat> and he would never give me a chance, no matter what. No matter what Bill did, like it was like playing chess. He kept taking himself out of uh, position to do commentary because they would use Bill too. And then they would put Nigel Sherrod in there who did a good job. Or if Nigel wasn't available or Matt wasn't, they'd have a wrestler as a Gust comment. And I finally said, fuck it. I've had enough, man. You know, are you ever going to put me on this TV show? And Jody told me no. And I said, thanks for everything. And I left, you know, uh, I appreciated the opportunity and it was fun, but I was killing myself to do it. There was no money. And mm. uh, I was at the, at, at you know, the disposal of a guy who clearly didn't want me on the show and we never had any disagreements and there was never any cross words, but he didn't give a fuck about anybody. And I wasn't assigned talent and he clearly wasn't a, a big fan of my style, but yet he didn't tell me to beat it. And I seen other people told to get lost. So I knew, he, I knew he thought I had some value. He just wasn't going to give me the opportunity. And sometimes you got to be able to read uh, the right on the wall and it was time to go. Yep, understood, understood. Uh, okay, well, um, another thing I want to bring up, which I, I messaged you about the other day. I was excited to learn a little bit about this. Uh, the World Wrestling Legends pay-per-view, the 605 reunion. Uh, you have the opportunity to work with Jim Cornette and Lance Russell on commentary for the show. You did say the show was a little bit of a nightmare. Um, also, you were involved behind the scenes with it as well. Please tell me a little bit about this show. Um, I've never had the chance to talk to anybody that was a part of it, but I've always been quite if, interested. If you're reading my sign language, I'm telling my dogs and my son who are coming through the front door to take it easy. But the, the XWF deal was, I mean, potentially because of the money that was behind it and, uh, all this shit we had at our disposal could have been such a big deal. Peach, stop it. It could have been such a big deal. Uh, but it was like, I don't know what it was, but have you ever, did you watch it? Did After I showed you where it's, you haven't seen it yet? I hadn't had the it, chance to, unfortunately. It's a different level of bad. Uh, and the matchmaking, it was guys that just couldn't do anything in the ring anymore or it was guys that could but mismatched with the wrong people and it was like they pushed the 605 the reunion like it was if i'm a guy on the outside i'm going okay well this is going to be a wcw saturday night reunion show mm -hmm. it, it, there was armstrong brothers there's nikolai volkov and iron Sheik. there's a vampiro uh there's bruno san martino kamala it was like this 
just this hodgepodge, weird, no sense whatsoever booking ideas. And it was this guy, Colin Bowman, that used to work for WCW Magazine that was really good friends with Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy trusted him uh, to book and put this show together. And it was, it was a fucking mess. And then they didn't have any clearance uh, for any of the pay-per-view providers and nobody knew it was coming. So all of a sudden, you know, day of the show, they're out in, in front of the hard rock, you know, trying to pay for it to get people to come in and see this show. And nobody's watching it. Nobody's ordering it. And even if they wanted to, they couldn't. It was this, it was so weird. But yet I got to sit there for three hours and call matches with Lance Russell, uh, Jim Cornette, and even Corey Macklin, you know, from Memphis. Um it was a dream come true for me. I made a shit ton of money because of Jimmy Hart. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I've never came close to making as much money in one show as I did then, before, or after. And it's been a very long time. So these people were just burning money. They're pissing it away. And they taped the show. Nobody watched it. Nobody knew how to get it. And then it went in can and it went under before it got started. And that was it. So it's like this. It's almost, I guess, forgotten show that you'd have to kind of know about to know that it ever happened. And it's there was another disaster of a legend show that was a lot worse that has a, a higher reputation. It's easier to find for all the wrong reasons. But all I know is Jimmy Hart had the faith in me to sit me down with you know, Jim Cornette. I, I, I could sit and listen to his podcast you know, for days now. But back in the day, as far as a manager, you, good luck finding anybody quicker or sharper or wittier and willing to take, you know, the shit off the scaffold. Uh, one of the greatest angles of all time was the original Midnight Express attacking the Midnight Express and Jim Cordette in the yes. WCW studios. And, and Corny got the heavy, heavy color from the uh, shot with the, the cell phone, which a cell phone back then was about that big you know so i to be able to sit there with those guys and to meet some of these legends and more so to get i had friends that were playing the role of friday with you uh kamala and guys that got to referee i guys got to do security everybody got paid uh and it was a nice atmosphere but it was pretty clear it was a train wreck when it was going on right yes i will get around to watching it because i'm very intrigued by it and i know that what the, the other uh, legends pay-per-view you're talking about I'm sure it's the one with uh, the infamous Jake Roberts. Oh, man. <laughs> I've been trying to burn that from my memory from the time I seen it years ago. Yeah, it was nothing like that. It wasn't gross yeah. or pathetic. It was just mismatches and, and, and stuff. You really need to look, even if you just look at the results, they're totally insane. Like Virgil against random person. I think rick steiner is against some random guy nobody's random like they don't matter they just like they dump like they booked 20 something guys dumped their name into a hat and pulled them out and said okay here's the show that's yeah. what it looked like that's mm -hmm. what the results look like to me because i was like coco beware versus disco inferno yeah. uh yeah but, but we we also know as far as positive though um chris canyon was part of that show and he worked his ass off and he was a total pro I was very lucky to be able to use him uh, in IPW Hardcore Wrestling. Matter of fact, he had a singles match. Uh, I want to say it was with Mike Chen. And he worked other guys for me, would insist on putting the other guy over. Uh, so to be, I think he came out on that show, if I remember wow. correctly. I'm almost positive that's where, which again, it made it almost more sad because 
the idea was there was going to be a lot of eyes on it, you know, and, and if he was going to make this, you know, insanely life-changing, brave statement, you would hope that there would have been an audience. And, you know, it was still cool. The story's there. It's true. He did it. Uh, every, you know, everybody supported the guy. How, who, I don't know anybody that ever met Chris Canyon that didn't say what a great guy, what a, but also an ultra-talented and very innovative wrestler. I, I really miss him. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone that I've had on the show that has mentioned him has always said something nice about him. Uh, um, and yes, uh, uh, again, just to, to kind of put a bow on the, the world wrestling legend 605 reunion pay-per-view. Um, it, it's true. Like it, it just, I thought I was expecting people that had been on WCW Saturday night. Yep. that was well known for being on that show. That's what I was looking for when I saw the, uh, the car. That was the idea. And they just went into, Who's available? Hey, what? Okay, Bobby Heenan, we'll put him with uh, the Armstrongs. Right? It, it would just be this insane shit. But as far as, again, the uh, ability to be on a show with guys like that, where that wasn't normal to have that level of names available, mm. it just, it would have been nice to, sorry if you hear one of my dogs drinking something like their camel <laughs> over there. Dallas, what are you doing? It's okay. <laughs> what an animal. Jesus. <laughs> I don't think she's drank since nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, no problem. Um, I, I, again, back to IPW Hardcore. I noticed in my research, 2012, two shows in 2018, three shows in 2019, some like reunion shows, I suppose you would call those. Uh, how did those shows go after, you know, being away from uh uh, IPW Hardcore for, for some time there. Uh, will you ever promote another show under that name again? It's kind of hard now because if, if I was to if I run it as IPW Hardcore Wrestling now, it's literally the name mm. uh, just kind of being thrown out there because the guys, everyone's so old you know, I could <laughs> every once in a while I'll get Steve Madison or Lex Lovett or, or Scoot Andrews or you know they, they'll, they'll be willing to come in the only way they'll do it is if they're in tip top shape, otherwise they will not, you know, do the show. Uh, so it's, 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 it just was time to move on. Uh, but some of the, you know, some of the reunion shows that I like, there's a, there's been a few shows that I really didn't run as the biggest deal. I would put IPW hardcore wrestling, but like days of future past yeah. uh, from a few years, fucking it's Scoot Andrews against Austin theory. It's sideshow against Darby Allen. Uh, the end is in there. It's it's a who's who. Wow. I mean, these guys are uh, Austin Theory is going to be main event in WrestleMania in the next few years. Darby Allen is a top. You know, a, last night he's teaming with the Hardys and Sting. Yeah, uh, how much more of a rub can you be given? So again, and Joey Janela was supposed to be on that show too, and had to cancel the night before because he was stuck on the West Coast. But it's literally a who's who. Effie was on that show as well. Not that I think about it. You know, it's, I still think I have an eye for or what it's going to take as far as guys to get to the next level. But I don't think if I'm running as IPW hardcore, that's the thing to do. People want to see the originals. Uh, you know, Billy Five still got some in the gas tank whenever I need them. You know, there's, there's a few guys like that out there, but it's few and far between. I got Scoot Andrews is, is uh, wrestling for expect the unexpected up in um, Jersey in a couple weeks. Uh, <laughs> crazy that he's coming back. You know, but me and him, his his daughters cheered for the same team here in uh, 
Florida that my uh, daughter cheers for. His wife is a teacher at the school that my son goes to. And me and him go back almost 20 years now. And you're going to find very few people are as big a supporters as the Black Nature Boy, Scoot Andrews, as me. And if he came along, um, let's say if AEW and that had came along during our run, Scoot would be a top guy that you're watching on TV making millions every week because he's that fucking good. Absolutely. I'm a massive fan of Scoot. He's a, also a fantastic human being. I've had him on the show. Uh, he's a always. Yeah, I always sing his praises anytime I can. Um, we're getting towards the tail end here, Ron. Really appreciated your time. This has been really good fun. And I know that there's so much more that we, we could have discussed on this uh, episode. So hopefully I can have you back on someday. Uh, but a few questions here. Um, what are your thoughts on the state of the wrestling business today? I think there's more money to be made than there's ever been. Uh, you know, because of the value of content. Uh, and I think things are happening for indie level and international talent that is unpre unprecedented and never seen before. Uh, but on the flip side, the WWE is probably putting out the worst show they've ever put out. Uh, and they're making more money than they've ever made. So if I was to be a betting man, uh, and I've been doing this 30 years at the, you know, a lot of people would say the fringe or the indie level, but I'm going to tell you that if I thought anybody other than WWE was going to be left standing tall at the end of this, uh, I clearly haven't been paying any attention because they're, they're making more uh, revenue streams appear by the day. And it's by putting out garbage content that nobody wants to see. They seem to resent their fans. They seem to resent their talent and it's paying more than it's ever paid. Um, I do think AEW is providing an insane alternative, but I also believe that they're going to rack up a body count on injuries that's never been seen before. And they've also announced a, you know, a world shattering announcement every week about somebody signing that you don't see two weeks later there. The, the cupboards are stocked uh, to a point of ridiculous, but there ain't enough fucking TV time to feature all this talent. So how long that can last. Uh, I, I think there was a big mistake made last night where Adam Cole never won shit on AEW. He ends up getting a title match anyway. So now we're establishing that the company who says they're based on wins and losses and they're trying to present them. We're throwing that out the window because the guy who's been doing nothing but doing jobs is now getting a title match. But yet last night he's on there against Jay Lethal, a ring of honor legend and champion. And of course, Jay Lethal goes under to Adam Cole. So you got two legit hot world champion type material that uh, you've killed them dead and um, to see what they did with the women's championship last night in some insanely racially insensitive angle in 2022 i gotta be wondering what the fuck they're smoking there because i'm not against them but if that if if what happened last night during the women's title uh segment happened on wb the aw fans would be in the streets with pitch pitchforks and torches trying to chase Vince McMahon out of town. Mm. It was terrible. They blew it. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're, you're right in everything that you've just said there, as far as I'm concerned, I, 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 I support AEW. I want them to do good for the, for the, for the boys and the girls that, that are in the business. Um, but they, AEW frustrates me. WWE, as far as I'm concerned, I've been done with them for a long time, but AEW, they frustrate me because I want them to do good, but 
Geez, I mean, I looked at the card for the for the show uh, for Dynamite this week, and I looked at the card. I'm like, I know who is winning every single match ahead of time. It's a foregone conclusion every single you time. Also, you also know a running on every match, and you know, you know, goofy ass com. You know, I'd call it comedy, but it's not funny, and I got a weird sense of humor. So, like, I think Danhausen's funny as shit. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm in the right, same as Orange Cassidy, but I don't want to see Orange Cassidy in title matches and stuff either. I'd rather he be the comedy character. He is doing what I could be best equated to some of the greatest stunts wrestling has ever seen. Uh, I just don't want to be watching the TV when that stunt goes wrong and he falls straight on his head with his hands in his fucking pockets, you know? Yeah. Good call, bro. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I want them to succeed, but geez, uh, the, you know, the, the earth shattering announcements and some of the booking is, is questionable and WWE is just, Hey, there's plenty of indie wrestling out there, though, man. And it, certainly, I don't, you know, I don't own it, and I ain't making no money off of it. But if you're not a subscriber of IWTV for what they, you know, nine ninety nine a month, I subscribe. Yeah, you know I mean, mostly just to watch myself because you know I'm an egomaniac, and <laughs> I like to listen to shit that I think's pretty funny that I say. <laughs> You know, uh, but of course, I appreciate the guys and girls I work with, too. But IWTV, you're talking about thousands of hours of wrestling. WWE Network, even. I mean, on Peacock, they're practically for, you know, five or ten bucks or whatever. There's so much wrestling. If I would have had this shit when I was a kid, I would never would have left the house. So I'm lucky that it wasn't available. All I got was my AWA and then later Southwest Championship Wrestling on USA Network before WWF took it over and. We were off and running, and then I got to Superstation TBS where I could see uh, WCW Saturday Night and, you know, Power Hour and all that other shit. You know, I hope I hope wrestling stays hot. I hope indie guys and girls can make money. Uh, I do believe at the end of the day, though, um, when people think of professional wrestling and when they decide long-term to spend their money on, on wrestling, it's going to be what the WWE is. That's what people think wrestling is. And I think uh, when these fans with AEW grow out of uh, these these kids are going to get older. The guys are going to find girlfriends. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. some of the favorites are going to be turned on by the Twitterverse. They're going to yeah. cancel. There's a lot of that coming. A lot of it. You know, when you embrace that, uh, you know, those fuckers eat their own. So while uh, you're sitting back and think you're riding the wave and you're, you know, woke or in most point, you know, pretend woke, and you think you're shitting on everybody together, those fuckers turn their sights on you for some mistake you made in the past it's over and it's coming and you can see little hints of it you know so i don't know i don't wish that i hope AEW. fuck if they took over i'd love to see a monday night war situation all over again like it was back with raw and nitro that was being a wrestling fan then holy christ it was insane you know Absolutely. That was when I first became a fan was, you know, around 97, 1998. And uh, it was huge. Uh, um, a couple, two more questions before our final segment. What else do you hope to accomplish in pro wrestling at this point in your time in the business? With me, it's simple. And, and this is not just in wrestling, but as a, as a person, all I care about is that people remember me. Um, you know, and I do everything I can when it comes to pro wrestling to help others. Uh, when people are willing to help me, I appreciate it and I respect it. Uh, I want to leave wrestling better than it was when I found it. Uh, but I am old school. I'm not really the most, I guess, progressive when it comes to a lot of this shit. But I just want it, you know, to be to be good for everybody. And, you know, I, I if I get a couple more last hurrahs, 
um, I'll be appreciative, but I'm as busy as I want to be. I work where I want to work. Uh, most people that don't want me, I don't want to work for them anyway. Um, you know, I'm too old for WWE to finally, you know, give me an opportunity and they've always been aware of what I do anyway. So, you know, if I can be on the high end of the independent level, I'm very happy with that. And, and truthfully, I'm going through a big change right now uh, that there's no telling where I could show up as soon as next week. You never know. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I wanted you to have the opportunity to plug anything that you're doing today, anything that you'd like to get out there. I know you've been doing some commentary for ICW No Holds Barred. Um, here's the floor for you and the opportunity to plug anything you'd like. No, I, I just, I, Jeff, you know, literally yesterday, just left ICW No Holds Barred, but right. of those guys, uh, that is home to me. Uh, I love the talent. I love Danny. Uh, the fans treat me like I'm a legend, which I'm truthfully not used to. I'm treated with a lot of respect here in Florida and wherever I go, but it's just different with them. Those fans are, they know their history and they respect it. Uh, those guys are, are, are doing some special things. Uh, you know, I, I still have a relationship with Sal from the world wrestling network. So you'll see me show up on FIP shows, uh, which again, you can WWNlive.com. You can subscribe there. They're, their library when it comes to FIP, ACW, Shine. I wish I could say Evolve, but they sold Evolve to uh, WWE, which luckily for me is how I got to finally be on the WWE network when when they started releasing the Evolve and then the ICW shows from overseas. But me and Lenny being on WWE network and they never cut out our ring and, you know, like we did the opening of each show in the ring, I figured that'd be the first thing they cut. They did. So I'll always be thankful. I don't like Gabe. He's not a friend of mine, but he had a lot of trust in me. And Sal, uh, to this day, keeps me around. So uh, other than that, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. And I'm selling some cool merchandise if anybody wants a T-shirt or a hoodie or anything. Uh, but I'm just grinding, dude. I'm grinding just like I was back in 91. Um, I'm, I'm older. I'm tougher than most. Um, I've seen everybody come and go. I've outlasted everybody. Uh, I, I haven't been the guy that been able to walk down the ramp at WWE, but uh, that probably benefits everybody because I would have lost my fucking mind if somebody would have told me I was an international star. Uh, I still got my wife. I still got my kids. I still got my health. Uh, I wouldn't have had none of that if I made it uh, to the next level. So, you know, things happen for a reason. I'm not a religious guy, but I believe in fate and I believe in karma. And I believe that things, you know, it comes back around. So when you take care of people and you treat people right and you give a fuck and you care about what you do and you believe in what you do, uh, good things happening. Excellent, bro. Excellent. And everyone out there, everything that Ron has just mentioned, you'll find in the description when this finally goes out on YouTube and you can find everything there. Ron Nemi, finally, now we're getting to our, at the end of the interview here. We've got one final segment of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. The idea is that you, you answer each question within five seconds but it's okay if you take a little bit longer than that okay. uh, first question here ron Nemi, who is your favorite professional wrestler of all time abdullah the butcher excellent um favorite match uh, of all time that you have witnessed in pro wrestling i i'm a huge fan of the uh the steve austin bret hart double turn uh deal it's epic uh, I probably have watched Hulk Hogan beat Iron Sheik for the WWF title a hundred times. Uh, 
it, it, it's an epic match. Forget about what's happened technically, just the heat in that building and the love for Hulk Hogan and the hatred uh, for the Iron Sheik was, was amazing. And Shawn Michaels and Scott Hall ladder matches, epic. I could go on forever, but those three are just, they're big deals. Yep, excellent. Um, <clears throat> the next question, I guess I, I would rephrase it from usual. Um, when you were managing or, or, or doing anything in the ring, who was somebody that you would say was like your favorite person to work with, your favorite adversary to have? I worked really, really well with um, Mike Sullivan, uh, whether he would be a heel as Iron Mike Sullivan or a baby face as Freedom Rider. We played off each other real well, uh, but we also were willing to take and give uh, a lot more than any reasonable person would accept as far as just insane levels of violence when it was necessary but we had a real strong chemistry uh and jet jaguar me and him i to this day i don't know how we didn't make it anywhere together because we were i think one of the best comedy acts going on but we also were very very tough and when you were fighting him you were fighting me too and it, and when you were in the middle of it it felt like that was actually happening and it was special it meant something and it pissed off a lot of people but that's just the way it was. Excellent, excellent. Uh, getting away from wrestling now, what is your favorite book? My favorite book? Yeah. The Stand, the Stand by Stephen King. It's the best. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, favorite TV show? I'm a huge fan of, um, there was a show on HBO years ago that only lasted a couple seasons called Carnival. That was just, it was just incredible. It was so good. Um, Honestly, I, again, I think it was only two seasons, and that, that was definitely my favorite show of all time. It was great. Awesome. Uh, the next one, favorite film? Empire Strikes Back. It's the greatest movie that's ever <laughs> been made. <laughs> Fantastic choice, bro. Uh, the next one is favorite musical artist? Kiss, the greatest rock band in the history of rock and roll. Good choice, good choice. I can see we've got a bit in common. Uh, favorite food? I'm a huge chicken wing fan, but my favorite food is turkey, and I have to have it every Thanksgiving and Christmas. And if I'm lucky, Easter too, but Terry usually makes ham then. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, favorite place to eat on the road? We were just up in uh, Tennessee, and we're lucky enough to eat at Cookout twice. Oh, I love this place. It's so good. It's so cheap, and it literally tastes like they they're, they got, like, grills in the in the back of the building just making burgers and hot dogs and it's it's basic shit but it's really cheap and it's really really good i love it yeah that's my favorite kind of stuff too uh the third last one here on five second frenzy ron is your favorite alcoholic beverage right now i'm drinking a busy which is like a white cloth and i'm kind of hooked on all these like pussy seltzer drinks uh, i spent <laughs> I spent many years drinking an insane amount of vodka with Red Bull and Monster, and I do love that, but I'm also not, uh, I, I shouldn't be drinking vodka and anything. So I've, I've kicked that, and I drink these seltzers. I like Bud Light as far as domestic trash beer, and I like all these seltzers. I, I literally don't care which one, is, whoever's on sale, if it's White Claw, Busy's, Bud Seltzer, whatever's on sale, I'm buying. And then I drink it that night. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the uh, hard seltzers as well. <clears throat> I also like Rainbird. I don't know if you get Rainbird over there, but that's a pretty decent uh -huh. one. Uh, 
So it's 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 had a good price. It's about six percent alcohol, so it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it gives you a nice little uh, nice little hit. Uh, second last one here, Ron. Uh, the naughtiest one of five second frenzy. Favorite female body part. You see a good looking lady. Where do the Ron Nimi eyes go to first? Right there. <laughs> Excellent. And the, the last one here for five second frenzy, Ron. Favorite curse word. Fuck. It works in everything. The, the the infamous F word. Yeah. I've been known to pull them in from time to time. <laughs> Maybe a little too often, some would say. <laughs> yeah, definitely the number one answer for favorite curse word. Uh, Ron Nini, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me uh, here tonight for you, this morning for me. Really interesting to, to learn about some of your journey in the pro wrestling business. I'm sure there is so much more that we didn't get to cover, um, but I just want to let you know that uh, I, I've appreciated your time. Everyone that I've had on the show that has worked with you, saying your praises uh, so it was really nice to uh, uh, meet you and, and, and get the chance to learn about you. So thank I you. I appreciate. I appreciate. Hey, just to keep us out of trouble, that was that was big hands that I was talking about too. <laughs> just just in case, I just want to clarify. But I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Maybe we can catch up another time and go over the later years. This was a lot of fun. Excellent, Ron. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, brother. And thank you all out there for watching the Insiders Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm California, alongside my new friend here, Ron Nemi, and we will see you down the road. Thank you. All has been paid for by the WZWA Network.